Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Hello, Facebook, seven o'clock, I am here. And despite the fact that I have gone live on Instagram many times before, I can't work out how to go live on Instagram. How do you do it? There's usually a little, there's usually a little thing, isn't there? God, plus new post, is it? Um, okay. Oh, God. Yes. Sorry. Um, right. So, live on Facebook. Hopefully, this is working. Hopefully, we can only hope. And also, I'm gonna also. Am I losing it? They changed something on Instagram. Am I losing my mind? There used to be a. Reels. No, I don't want reels. What's that? Shop. Search. Home. Okay. Um, good. Okay. Well, good evening and uh, welcome to the Facebook Live. I'm um, hoping everything's playtest sound. Hoping everything's working. And uh, you can hear everything. Is it this microphone? What microphone I'm on? And oh, plus, what about there? New post. Oh, no, that's... Story. Ah, I got it. They've changed it, haven't they? They've changed it. St uh, story. And so, good evening. If you've got any questions, please feel free to ask live, and I will be very happy to answer them for you. But in the meantime, I've got some of my own questions, which I will go through presently. <sighs> Goodness me. I mean... The thing I find about this stuff is they sell you things like iPhones with absolutely no instructions on them whatsoever. And they have these programs like Instagram and there's no instructions live there, live. There's no instructions how to use it. And I don't know, people just seem to know. But I tell you what, I don't know. I don't find Facebook very easy to use, so I'm completely honest with you. But um, anyway, probably sounding like an old man. Add title, uh, live. Right, so good. Hi, Donna and uh, Tracy. Good evening. Hopefully, uh, I've got the Instagram working now. Oh, it's a bit high, isn't it? Camera's a bit high. Preparation. This is that better? No, maybe not. Right, good. 
Good. Oh, my God. Donna's got a big one. Whoa, Donna's straight in with a big one. Right. Uh, how do I get rid of that thing on the screen? Like that. But I will need to put that on because we need to know what we're dealing with here. Instagram, if you want to know who you're dealing with, you're dealing with Jonathan Stiano, plastic surgeon to the stars. Yeah, the Jonathan Stiano right here. Um, ready to answer your questions. Um, and I've got a big long post here from Donna. Hope you're well and COVID hasn't affected you too much. I'm 14 weeks post op, 360 degrees lower body lift with Mons lift, MR, that's muscle repair, uh, and lipo and brachioplasty. Oh my God. Donna, you've had a big one. 360 degrees lift with Mons lift. Lipo and brachioplasty. Oh, my Lord. Brachioplasty um, is arm reduction for people who may not know what brachioplasty is. Healy insanely well. That's what we want to hear. However, left forearm still annoyingly swollen more than the other. And bottom part of upper arm tight is getting better. But how long does it normally take to get rid of the forearm swelling, please? Looking like popper arm. I've asked my surgeon, but I still would like more expert opinions. Ha ha, big ones always. Um, so, um, yeah, Donna, as I always say, because you are, what are you? 14 weeks. Okay, a few, few weeks post-op. Always good to talk to your surgeon because they know what went on. But um, in general terms for swelling, uh, yeah, I normally say it starts to settle around three months. So um, what's three months? Three, four, 12. Yeah, so you're just starting now, aren't you? Um, around three months. And it's often the way that one is worse than the other, whether it be your arms or your breasts or your eyes or you know whatever it is whenever we operate on two things it's often that one is worse than the other for whatever reason and people can say oh it's because i overdid it or i'm right-handed or whatever but it's not uncommon to have one worse than the other so um uh you might want to think about compression it's difficult to get compression on the arms donna um but uh if you've got a problem with swelling that can help um but again talk to your surgeon about that because they might be worried about healing and things but um yeah that sounds brilliant, Donna. And if that's your only worry after such a big op, that is brilliant. So fantastic. Well done. Uh, that's that's really huge operation, that is. Um, evening. Hope you're staying safe. Trying my best, Hannah. Trying my best. Um, so I'll tell you something. We have, we're doing well with the questions. I'll be honest with you. We are doing well. But that doesn't mean we... Oh, hold on a minute. Donna's come back to you. Uh, fabulous improving just looks like I have more fatty elbow but super amazing still thank you responding finding hard to get compression just, yeah I agree you say forearm Donna I think you mean the arm the forearm is the bit from the elbow to the wrist is your forearm and from your um, elbow to your shoulder is your arm so I'm thinking you're meaning the arm but it is uh, because the forearms a little bit easier to get compression for your forearm because compression for your forearm you could just get a tuber grip because uh, ideally you want to go for the joint above and below. So you want to go from the hand to the sort of above the elbow if you want compression on your forearm. But uh, it is difficult to get compression on your arm because you want to go from shoulder to uh, um, shoulder to elbow. So it's hard to cross the shoulder. And so because you often you need it to move here. So you often get a gap in the armpit and you can get swelling there. But um, yeah, it is difficult to get shoulder. You can get compression for that area. But um, yeah, it can be challenging. Um and often you get a bit of, you know, swelling down there at the lower end of the uh, brachioplasty um, um, scar. Maybe. Um, my private journey. Hey, I'll be four weeks PO, post-op, that is, uh, on Thursday, TT. When can I have a bath? You're my surgeon, by the way. 
Um, so, um, yeah, so I always say ask your surgeon, my private journey. I know that I'm your surgeon. Um, yeah, today, have a bath today. For God's sake, girl, four weeks, you're not a bath, get in the bath. What's your boy playing at? Get yourself in a bath. Well, it depends if you're healed. Um, and I think you've got little ridgy bits in the middle, haven't you? But I don't think you've got any... Um, dressing well if you've got dressings on then probably you don't want to get in the bath because they'll just float off uh but even then i often say look take the dressing off get in the bath and then put another dressing on again but i don't think you have got dressings so certainly if you've got no dressings definitely um get get in the bath uh, go for it um sooner the better um i personally like showers because it's sort of constant moving water but if you prefer baths then um then go for it you can have a bath yeah no scabs all clear now so yeah go for it you can go today um as soon as you're healed and as soon as you've not got any dressings on in my practice you can get in the bath um tracy how you doing tracy really really pleased with my tt so far managing to sleep in my bed now not getting on gee seti lol so um yes good good um it's still early days i mean it is you know it's only a few weeks and it's uh, it does take time for everything to settle down uh, but the thing about tight you do see the result pretty instantly but it does probably take you know six or 12 months to get the proper result with all the sensation and the scar and all that um surgeon said same as you but no you're amazing there you go great minds great minds Yes, the elbow underneath is fat and swollen more than the other. Yeah, it's often a bit swollen down at the elbow with a brachioplasty. Um, you often get a bit swelling there for two reasons. One, you stop the scar there, but also it's dependent. It's the most dependent area, so swelling goes down there. Um, thank you. I shall look. Yeah. Chris is in the house. Big up, Chris. Planning a TT and lipo soon after a large weight loss i'm a horse rider so how long before i can ride again after it would you think um good question chris so obviously the position on a horse is good because you're bent so you're not putting tension on the tummy but the problem is the constant boom boom um so i'm gonna say six weeks um i think at six weeks you'll still be a bit uncomfortable and your scar will be quite red and you'll have numbness and what have you but all being well that's the other thing all being well because sometimes things take longer than other times all being well uh, i think everything will be pretty well healed at six weeks and um you'll be able to gently you know walk around with a horse i don't think you'll be doing any crazy jumps or you know i don't know what running uh, or whatever you call it galloping galloping with a horse but um, gently around six weeks i think you'll feel better about getting onto the horse and and just gently getting you know trotting trotting about canter canter at six weeks i'm saying chris uh, but again it depends on how things go is my lipoma oh rosalini you asked a question i'll do this one is my lipoma suitable for surgery photos attached now is which photos is this two years ago i had a scan i was told it's a fatty tissue so i think it's this one here because guys oh question one god they put a note question one and question eight wow show in stream there we go pretty similar to those two aren't they but you can see it's a neck um so is my so um instagram i know you're you want to get in on the action i know you do can you see that can you see that you see that there? You see that? Is that? I've got to be honest with you. 
as you, if you're a regular, uh, regular tuner in it, it's evolving. Okay. And I'm, and I've got the photos on the Facebook live. I can get photos on Instagram, but I have to have them in my photos of my phone, which I haven't got uh, for this. So I haven't, you know, evolving. That's something we can move towards maybe getting photos for Instagram, but there you go. It's a, it's a swelling in the neck here. So this is an interesting one because this lady has said she's had a two years ago, had a scan and it was told it was paddy tissue. I've got to be honest with you. I'm a bit worried about this. A swelling in the neck is a worry because a swelling in the neck could be many, many things. And uh, it's reassuring that uh, there's been a scan two years ago. I'd I haven't seen this patient and I'd probably have to see this patient or one of us would probably have to see this patient and examine you. And I would, I don't know, I'd be thinking maybe of, of getting another scan um, unless there's been absolutely no change in two years. But but in general terms, a, a swelling in the neck could be, could be many things. It could be something to do with the esophagus. Um, it could be something to do with the arteries, the front, with the veins, with the lymph nodes in the neck. It could be thyroid. There's a big thyroid gland there. So it could be a lobe of the thyroid. So it's not something that you want to go into under local anesthetic um, without being sure that it is just a cyst. Now, obviously, it could just be a simple cyst and cysts are relatively easy to remove under local anesthetic. And this cyst could be removed under local anesthetic if it is just a cyst. And a cyst is a swelling in the skin. But if it's a subcutaneous swelling, if it is a, you know, as I say, a lymph node or a, a, a part of the thyroid gland, I would be thinking, hold on a minute, this is not something that we would be doing under local anesthetic in uh, the clinic. Um, so lipomas and, uh, and cysts can happen anywhere, but lots of other things can happen in the neck. So I'm a bit worried about this one. I've got to be honest, a bit worried about this one. So we'd need to have a look at it, and I'd and I'd be a bit hesitant about that, and I'd need to have a proper look at it and, and examine and and potentially get more imaging. Uh, neck swellings are not to be um, taken lightly. Uh, Chris says thank you, thank you for asking the question, Chris, and you're very welcome. Uh, Rosalina on Instagram um, says if you have a tummy tuck, will this flatten out the mons pubis area, or would you need lipo? Um, yeah, you would need lipo. You would need lipo. You can do uh, a bit to the mons pubis area. You can take a bit of a wedge out of the mons pubis area and try and flatten it down. You can't do a huge amount, Rosalina. And it is really important to be aware of this prior to having surgery because often people are not even aware that they've got a prominent mons. Mons pubis area is the pubic area around the pubic hair for those people who don't know what it is. Um, and it's really important to be aware of that before having a tummy tuck because a lot of people don't realize it's there because they've got a big abdominal apron. You do a tummy tuck and then suddenly this big mons area and they say, what have you done? What have you put there? You know, and I haven't put it there. It's always there. And you're limited as to what you can do uh, at the time of a um, tummy tuck. And so... Um, you have to be aware of it. You can do something. You can do something. You can address it. You can take a, a wedge out and you can do a bit of liposuction. But if it is really big and redundant, there's a lot of skin, a lot of totic skin, it may need to be addressed at a later date um, because you don't want to be doing too much down to the mons area. Because if you do too much down to the mons area, then the scar will drift up and you end up with a, a scar that goes up in that area. So you've got to be a bit careful. Also, do you donate a cup down a cup size after a breath lift once skin has been removed? Someone else asked that. Oh, that was you. Do you do? Oh God, sorry. 
do you go that was you okay yeah oh yeah i did me um no no a lot of people think that um but you certainly don't go down a cup size after a breast lift some skin is removed so some tissue is removed with a breast lift but it's only usually about 20 grams you know uh, <clears throat> whereas 150 grams is a is a cup size so it's nowhere near a cup size i mean i guess potentially if you were right at the bottom end of a cup size you could maybe you know go into the top end of the cup size below potentially but it's only a very small amount of volume that's removed so it's not a significant amount of volume so i normally tell people that the cup size is going to be about the same after surgery that it is before surgery with a breast lift um now i full disclosure oh, i'm an open book this question says would calendula cream be recommended to apply to the topical areas after the first week um i did actually have to google calendula cream prior to this because i didn't know what calendula cream is uh, mole removal um so the background to this question mole removal as i've been told this will help the skin granulate and tolerate to clothing brushing against it um, um so i googled calendula cream and it's just like a, a moisturizing cream by the looks of it so um it sounds good you know Sounds good. I think moisturising creams are good, and I encourage people to use moisturising creams on scars to help them uh, settle. So I think moisturising cream, other other creams are available, um, is good to use after um, having a, a, a mole removal or having any surgery. Um, it, I, I, they've said here, I've been told it'll help the skin granulate. I don't think that's um, something that is accurate because... Um, Skin granulation is when you've got an open wound and it heals across. So granulation suggests that the wound is open and it's sort of granulating across. So skin doesn't granulate. Most of the surgery we do, we close wounds and then we hope that wound heals and then everything's fine. If the wound doesn't heal properly or the wound opens up, then you will have granulation tissue and you will need to think about some kind of dressing to encourage granulation tissue. And I don't think this moisturizing cream would be that. I wouldn't put moisturizing cream on an open wound but certainly it can help with the redness of the scar and the firmness of the, the scar. Um, best cream for surgery scars to fade? Sorry for all the questions. Sorry for all the questions is what I'm here for, Rosalina. Um, there isn't one, Rosalina, and a lot of people will say, well, some people will say Calendula, obviously, never heard of it, but there you go, Calendula, Nivea, E45, Aqueous Cream, Aloe Vera, Vitamin E, you name it, people will tell you it's a good cream. Um, for me, it's more the moisturized than the actual cream that you're using and the pressure. Pressure can help when the scars are quite firm. So I don't think there's any evidence that says that one cream is better than another cream. So for me, it's moisturized more than the actual cream that you use itself. If you do have problematic scars in terms of red lumpy scars, then there are certain gels and, um, and uh, sheets you can have, which are silicone which is slightly different to what we're talking about here in, in terms of creams. So silicone gels and silicone sheets have been shown to be helpful for lumpy, hypertrophic or um, raised scars. But most people just have red, firm scars and it's the moisturizer massage. And I don't know of any evidence to say that one cream's better than another cream. So um, yeah, if you use a cream normally, I would just go with that. 
Kim, how should breasts sit? I've seen some women posting pictures and they seem wide apart, others closish together. What is the correct way for them to sit? So in terms of the, the a lot of people talk about the, the, the cleavage and are worried about their cleavage being too uh, wide and uh, say they want their cleavage narrowed. And the cleavage is tends to be the same before and after. Normally we're talking about implants here. The cleavage tends to be the same before and after um, having implants. I show photos in my consultation of people who've got breast implants with different cleavages. And you'll see the cleavage before is the same cleavage after. Some people have got naturally wider cleavages than others. Some people have got naturally narrower cleavage. And you really want to put, put the implants where the breasts are. So they sit where they sit. Your breasts will sit where they sit. So, but what, what implants will do, will they, they'll increase the angle of the cleavage. So if your cleavage is a bit flat, they'll increase the angle. Um, my, my question's in the way. So it won't necessarily narrow the cleavage because if you go, if you try and go too narrow, if you try and narrow a cleavage, you can run the risk of being able to see or feel the edges of the implant. If you go medial to the border of the breast. So if you go past the border of the breast with the implant, there's a worry you'd be able to see or feel that edge of the implant. So um, yeah, what I normally tell people is the cleavage is likely to be the same as what it is before. When someone sees a very wide wide cleavage, an abnormally wide cleavage, that's usually with uh, implants that have been placed under the muscle, which where they haven't uh, um, um, released the muscle enough medially. You have to release the muscle to to give a good cleavage and there's a lot of blood vessels there and it can bleed and it can be difficult so sometimes if you don't release it enough then you can get the muscles pulling the implants laterally and get a very wide unnatural looking cleavage so that's slightly different but the cleavage is usually the same as what it is before so again another thing you've got to be aware of before surgery you don't want to think oh this is going to be changed if it's not um i use germline cream after my treatment i had great healing progress there you go germline guys candula germaline uh you know you name it um thanks for that beck simmons um is it normal procedure to make the nipple smaller during a blessed lift it is yes now got to be a bit careful with the terminology here don't want to pull you up here rosalina um we're all adults here so there's no mistakes which is we're all learning but strictly speaking nipples is a bit in the middle i mean i know we all use the nipple to mean the whole thing but the bit around the outside is the areola the nipples the bit that sticks out in the middle so it's the areola that's made smaller rather than the nipple that's made smaller. So yes, the areola is, is reduced as an integral part of the breast lift, whether you want it or not. Well, actually I say that, if you don't want it, you can have the areola the same size, unless it's crazy big. But if it's just a normal size, it'll be the normal size. But often when the breast is uh, requires a lift, that's because the skin's been stretched and the skin of the areola has been stretched as well as the skin in the breast. So the, the areola is often larger than you would like. Um, so it's a, it's, an, it's an integral part of a breast lift to reduce the areola. Yes, ma'am, it is. Um, can I combine fat grafting with a mastopexy for an asymmetry? Yes, you can. Um, and I think this is, I mean, I don't do much fat grafting in uh, cosmetic breast surgery, although I do a lot of cosmetic breast surgery and I do, well, I used to do a lot of fat grafting. Uh, I love fat grafting. I think it's a great technique and I love it uh, as a technique, but I find that the results are quite subtle. But actually, this is quite a good indication for it. Uh, if there's an asymmetry, a mild asymmetry, um, then you could do fat grafting to the smaller breast to try and give it a bit of volume. The problem with fat grafting is it's expensive and the results are often subtle. 
So I would have a discussion with you. And if it's a mild volume difference discrepancy, it may be better to just do a smaller, a small reduction of the bigger breast um, would be a certainly a lot of an easier procedure to do a small reduction of the bigger breast to get that asymmetry balanced rather than fat grafting of the smaller breast. But if you really didn't want to be any smaller, then fat grafting would be an option. And if it's a big difference between the breasts, then implants still in my practice, the way to get a significant increase in volume in the breast, a significant noticeable increase in volume of the breast, uh, implants are still the gold standard, despite all the media and all the problems and all the well, you know issues that people talk about, it's still the gold standard for increasing the volume of the breast in a predictable fashion. I would love fat grafting to be able to replace it because it's natural, it's in your own tissue, you don't get any long-term problems. Um, and it's and it's a lovely technique to do, but the results are subtle. It takes a long time. The procedure is therefore quite expensive, and so you, I, you know, one of my big things is I always want happy patients, and I don't want to have someone who spends a lot of money um, and doesn't have a significant result that they're there unhappy about, and that is what you run the risk of with fat grafting. So it's all about patient selection and telling patients about what they can hope to achieve to ensure that's the right thing for them. But if it is the right thing for them, fantastic, love it, great, great procedure. Uh, and that, and as I say, that will be a good option because it's just one breast. If you've got an asymmetry and you're just putting it back into one breast, the problem comes a lot of people if they think they're gonna have it for a cosmetic augmentation. And again, in my, I know people do it out there, so I don't wanna to be too negative about it. In my hands, it um, is subtle, the volume increase. And so uh, I, I still think breast implants have got it at the moment. Um, rather than fat crafting. But yeah, good indication there. Nice. Like it. Like it a lot. Kim, what's up? Thank you. Also, what is the recommended distance for where the nipple should be placed? How where from are you measuring? Collarbone question mark. Well, um, Kim, you're getting technical. I'm looking for my tape measure. Um, so uh, good question, Kim. And you remember, Kim, plastic surgery? is an art, not a science, yeah? So it is a, it is an art and placement of the nipple is very important when you're doing a breast lift slash reduction. And you've got to be very careful where you place it. And the really bad thing you'd want to do is avoid placing it too high. Um, and it varies and there's different ways you can measure it. And I haven't got one specific way of measuring it. So you measure it from here, the sternal notch, you measure the position of the nipple, to the sternal notch, that's the, that's the nipple to sternal notch distance. So that's what it is now. And then you measure it to a new place. There's different ways you can um, measure it. You can put your hand in the inframammary fold, put, push your hand forward and project a, project a line, try and project a line to get it to sit um, at, the, at, the, at that point. So when you do a lateral view, it's sitting at that point. Oh, I made that clear. So you put your hand in the fold where the bra would sit, feel on the, on the skin where, the, where your fingers are, and mark that point there. First of all, you want to mark the mid-clavicular line, so the midpoint of your clavicle. Um, clavicle's normally about 15 centimeters long, so it's usually about seven and a half centimeters from the um, sternal notch. So you may, you drop a line straight down the median, uh, the meridian of the breast, um, and then you can put your finger there. Other ways you can mark, then you would measure it and see what it is. It depends on the age uh, of the patient uh and the size of the patient so a younger patient would have a higher nipple than an older patient um so 
anywhere between 19 to 22. That's sort of, you know, 19 to 22 centimeters is sort of, um, but you could even make 23, 24 maybe. And if, if someone's got a very low nipple, you don't want to put it too high because the longer the transposition, the more risk of um, problems with the vascularity of that nipple. So you might, if someone's got a nipple position of 33, 34 centimeters now, it's really quite low. You might place it lower. You might place it at 24. I don't know if I'm getting too technical here. So you might place it, you know, 24, just, just to make that, that transposition, you know, 10 centimeters rather than 12 or 13 centimeters. Um, the other thing you can do, which I sometimes do, is, is you push the breast up, you mark the upper pole, and you mark 10 centimeters down from the upper pole of the breast. So all these things go together to mark where you should be putting the, um, putting the nipple. Um, and there isn't a number. You wouldn't, you know, well, I don't know what other people do, but I can't imagine anyone would just say to you, oh, it's 22. You know, you wouldn't always have it at the same number. You always make a note of what number you make it. But um, it's different for everybody because you've got to look at their frame. Got... The other thing people do is, well, people talk about, I've never done it, is a midpoint of humerus, um, uh, this bone here, and, you know, line across. That's another landmark people use for marking the nipple. A bit like marking the belly button for a tummy tuck. Lots of different ways of doing it. <laughs> But yeah, there's just a few there, Kim. If you're thinking of getting into a bit of a breast reduction surgery, there's some tips of how you mark where the nipple is. Um, lifetime of experience is important, though, Kim. Always. Um, advice on different implant types of breast augmentation. Yeah, this here we go. This is a good question. Um, I need advice on textures like replicons, but very textured, microthane, polytext, or mesmo sensitive. What ones do you think are the best or safest, minimum risks or CC, etc.? Um, so, yeah. So this person's obviously looking at Polytech. So Polytech is a company um, that make the polyurethane implants, which are microthane. Um, so basically, uh, the problem with implants is there's different types. So the polyurethane foam is like a foam coating. And then you've got smooth ones, which are like glassy smooth, and then you've got rough ones which are in the middle, which are called textured. So you've got smooth, textured, polyurethane. Those are the three broad types. There is a new one now, which is um, nano-textured, um, which is between a smooth and a textured one. And basically they get, get progressively rougher at one end and progressively smoother at the other. And the problem is everybody wants the best one. You know, what's the best one? Which is the safest? Which has got the minimal risks? Well, everyone wants that one, don't they? No one's going to use an implant with more risks or, you know, less safety. They've all got risks and they've all got benefits. That's the problem. And uh, these types that they're describing, this is poly Polytech use, uh, Microthane is their poly, uh, polyurethane one, uh, Polytext is their textured one, Mesmo is their nano-textured one. Um, so basically, the more rough it is, the less chance of capsular contracture so the safer it is but the more rough it is the more chance of alcl so the less safe it is so there's a safe thing about it and there's a less safe thing about it um and similarly for the smooth ones the smooth ones less risk of alcl more risk of capsular contracture um and rippling um so there isn't an answer there's the, it's a it's a spectrum and it's weighing up the pros and cons of all of them and what, what's right for you um and if there was a best one we just use that one because no one would not use one which is not the best and personally i use all of them to be honest with you 
um, and I talk to people about pros and cons, and we try and come up with a, you know, a balanced decision between us as to what's right for you. That's what it's all about. Kim, thank you. I actually thought there's a specific number. No, it's not a specific number, Kim. No. So anywhere, you know, probably 19 is a bit, bit high, probably 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. It's all ballpark. Depends on everybody. Um, yeah. Um, where are we? Can neck, back and shoulder pain be the result of bigger implants? I had saline implants six years ago and went from a B to a treble D. Treble D, go ahead. I'm experiencing pain in these areas. Yeah, it could be. Um, just like big breasts, you know, big, big people with large breasts could could cause pain in these areas. Um, and uh, yeah, but having said that, I always say men can get back pain and shoulder pain. So, you know, it might not be. Usually this question comes around with people having a breast reduction saying, I get pain in my shoulders and my neck and back. And I always say, look, I would hope it would be better with a breast reduction because you're taking that weight off, you know, that you're carrying around all day is going to make things better. But I can't guarantee it because men get back pain and shoulder pain. But having said that, if you have a big implant, um, B to treble D is quite a jump. And so it might be, it might, I'm sorry to be vague, it might be, couldn't guarantee it because that's the problem. Because if you say, right, then I'm having my implants taken out, you could have your implants taken out and the pain could still be there. Um it's 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 not it's it's only going to help, but it might not be. You know, it's hard to say. It's definitely causing it. Can saline implants be reduced to smaller implants without a lift? Uh, no, I've got to be honest. I don't use uh, saline. I've having said I use all implants. I, I would if someone wanted to. I mean, I could. But don't tend in this country. I don't really know anyone who uses saline implants much. Saline implants, they tend to use it more in America. So I don't have a huge experience with saline implants. But um, no, they, they saline implants, you can adjust the volume when you put them in, but I don't think you can adjust the volume when they're in. There are adjustable implants where you can adjust the volume when they're in, but they're usually used for reconstruction. So you can have adjustable, a little port underneath the skin that you can inject and, and blow it up. Um, but um, that is for reconstruction. Saline breast, and they're usually half saline, half uh, silicone. Saline breast implants, you are not adjustable. Um, no. I mean, you could obviously swap them out, same as you could for silicone, but uh, you can't adjust them on the on the hoof. At least I don't know of any that do. But as I say, I'm probably not the expert on that one. Is there a limit to have? how many breast surgeries you can have in your lifetime i had a bba age 40 then at age 54 had implants removed with mastopexy and new implants no that's nothing um not at all not at all um but having said that you need to reduce the amount of breast amount of surgeries you have to your breast and i always say to people minimize the amount of operations to have you to your breast because every time you have an operation you're creating scar tissue and scar tissue can cause the capsular contracture, the hardening of the implant. And particularly if you're having surgery for capsular contracture, when someone comes with a bit of capsular contracture, I always say to them, leave it as long as you can, because you don't want to keep on changing your implants every few years, because you're creating more scar tissue every time. 
Um, so you really need to you need to limit it as much as possible. So you need to not have as many, you know, you need to have as few operations as you can to your breast. But there's no limit to the amount of operations you can have to your breast. So, um, you know, two, two ways of looking at it. But so, yeah, there's absolutely no limit to it. But I wouldn't advise you to have too many operations to your breast because every single time you're creating more scar tissue. So um, and particularly if you're doing things like doing capsulectomies, removing implants and things, because you're going to remove a little bit of breast tissue, much try as you might not to every time you do that surgery. And so, um, you know, that means less breast tissue to cover the new implants. So more risk of visible rippling and, and feeling the edges and things trying to avoid so it's trying to avoid as uh, too many operations but there's no limit to the amount of operations rosalina thanks so much for your answers very helpful that's the sort of testimony you want guys that's instagram for you look at that mm? thanks rosalina thanks for asking the questions would this cyst be suitable for surgery diabetic lesions 15 centimeters it's infected it's currently taking antibiotics been advised by gp to incise instead of excision right and we got ourselves a photo right doesn't look too bad on that photo does it oh on there doesn't look too bad in terms of um in terms of the right i know what i know i know you want to have a look instagram all right all right here we go here we go i can't see can you see it oh no you can see my window there it is <sighs> see it yeah it's not very good is it doing that sorry <laughs> sorry not very high tech but you know um So no, is this is short answer to that? No, it's not suitable for. Well, it's not suitable for us. We wouldn't deal with that uh, cyst as it is. As I say, it doesn't look too bad, but it's a bit of a worry. Diabetic, infected, uh, quite a large cyst on the back, and so what I would be saying is that. Um, if it's infected, and it's often the way that people have cysts for many years, they get infected, they think, oh my God, um, my cyst's infected, I beg of it, sorted, give us a ring and say, can you help me with my cyst? We wouldn't treat it while it's infected. <clears throat> if we cut it out and cut the cyst out and and, uh, and do surgery now, first of all, the local anaesthetic doesn't work very well. It's not very nice doing surgery in infected cases. And the wound would get infected and it would be a potential disaster. It would break apart. I can see you've already got a stretched scar on your back um, from something else. Scars on the back often stretch, but it would be it would potentially be a bad thing to do. So really, the infection needs to settle before we would get involved. Um, so you would need to leave it a few months to get it settled. Now, how that infection gets settled is another thing. So antibiotics are things to take in the first instance. But if you do have an abscess, if it gets infected and forms an abscess, a red hot swelling, then as your GP says, the uh, treatment is often incision. So you lance it basically, you know, lance the boil, make a cut in it and you let all the evil humors out and you often pack it and deliberately leave it open so that all the badness can come out and you have to change the pack every day. And, you know, it can be uncomfortable if you're having an abscess uh, treated. Now, that is not something we would do. We wouldn't uh, treat the, the infection and, and do incision and drainage and uh, packing, etc. So but we would get involved once it's all settled, which is going to be a couple of months, at least a couple of months down the line. 
um, once the infection has settled and then you've just got a quiet cyst again, the overlying skin's normal, it's not tender, you know, once it's all settled uh, and however it gets there, whether that be on antibiotics or incision, um, then that would be uh, when we would get involved. So we wouldn't get involved in the infected state stage. So um, yeah, by all means come and uh, see us when it's settled, but at the moment, um, yeah, you need to get the infections sorted. So I hope that's been helpful. Two photos today, and I'm, I will work on getting them properly on Instagram. Uh, have I missed anything? Um, I'm out of questions, full disclosure. Um, anyone got any questions? Anyone? I can wait around for it longer. No, anyway, I'm very busy. I am obviously very busy. I'm joking. I'm a busy guy. You know, someone of my caliber clearly has got a lot to do. So um, I will check myself out in that case. I suggest you do likewise. I will be back next week. So don't worry. Okay. I know if you're champing at the bit to get your questions in. If I haven't got your question today, please message me on Facebook or on Instagram, email me info at stianoplasticsurgery.co.uk, call me 0121 I should have that on the screen, shouldn't I? Uh, oh, look at that. It's all kicking off now. Jackie, thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Jackie, you are keeping the numbers up single-handedly, and I respect you for that. Here we go. Likelihood of breastfeeding in the future after breast lift. Oh, that's a tricky one, Rosalina. There's two... Um, see you next week, my private journey. Um, there's two issues about that breastfeeding and the breast lift question Rosalina and the first thing I would say is that you may not be able to breastfeed after a breast lift now the word may is there because you may be able to breastfeed after a breast lift so it's on it's difficult to know so if you desperately want to breastfeed the answer is wait until you finish the family the other thing is I'd be saying to you is saying if you're saying about breastfeeding that means you think you're having more children and if you think having more children when you have children your breasts get big and small and they can droop again so that's another reason to delay your breast lift until after having a family so two reasons one if you you know you may not be able to breastfeed after a breast lift but also the breast having another child can affect the shape so you might not want to have a breast lift at this time now having said that you might be able to breastfeed and certainly a breast lift you're more likely to be able to breastfeed than a breast reduction uh, even with a breast reduction, you might be able to breastfeed, but we leave tissue attached to the nipple. We don't actually see the ducts in it, so we just leave as much tissue as we can. We have to mobilize the nipple to move it, but we don't sort of take it off. It stays on, and, and it depends on how many ducts are in there, and you can't see them, so you only know until you, you will know, we'll only know until the situation arises whether you'll be able to breastfeed or not. Good question, last minute, Rosalina. Good question. Rachel is in with a last minute one. Good one, Rachel Round. Would you recommend smooth or textured implants? Well, Rachel, good question, that one. I um, I don't know what to say, Rachel, because there are pros and cons with both of them. And smooth implants are less likely to get ALCL, which is a type of cancer. It's an extremely rare cancer. Now, you might say, flipping heck, any cancer, I don't want to have a risk of it. So I'm like, okay, well, you can have a smooth implant then. But I've got to be honest with you, Rachel, um, smooth implants were that when they first made implants they were smooth implants and then they had these developments to make them better with making them rough you know making them textured and polyurethane and what have you and that 
they found that increased the risk of capsular contracture. Um, and so, you know, there are benefits in having textured implants. So I don't know what to say, Rachel. It's a question of balancing up the risks and making a decision yourself. And, um, you know, I, you know, I use both. And, I, and, and then there's also nanotexture that some people feel good about because it's somewhere in the between. It's a question of looking at the evidence, Rachel, and making a balanced decision because there's no answer to that. And I, and I would be careful if someone tries to tell you one's better because if one was better, if someone tries to tell you smoother, better, I'd be like, well, why are there so many people using textured? And if someone tries to tell you textures better, why are there a whole load of people using smooth? So I'd be a bit wary of someone who tries to tell you one's better. Although I do think sometimes it does help patients if we do say, oh, this one's the best, have that one. But, the, but then the problem is if you went on to have a problem and then someone else saw you and said, oh, you had those implants. Well, they, yeah, they rip or they give capsule contracture or, oh yeah, they're much more likely to go ALCL. And you say, well, I didn't know that. So you have to be aware of everything. And, and at the end of the day, unfortunately or fortunately, whichever when you look at it, in this day and age, we're encouraged to give patients to the, the, you know, empower patients as much as we can. Although I know it's difficult when you're trying to get your head around a lot of things and it can be quite technical, but we will try and facilitate that as much as possible. But I don't think there's any answers on that one, Rachel. Um, thank you. My son had a rare cancer, so I'm concerned. I'll look into the mixed. Thanks. Yes. So yeah. So if you if you're if if that's a high priority for you, then maybe you're thinking, hold on a minute, I don't want that. You, you might be thinking smooth or or the or the nano textured, the the micro textured ones. Yeah. Fair enough. Absolutely. Go for it. That's you know a lot of this is you've got to feel comfortable in your own mind as to what you're putting in your body, and so that's why I think it's hard or not hard, but I don't really want to push anyone to a certain implant because it's their body and they've got to be comfortable with the decision, whatever it is. Um, Rosalina, haven't had any children yet, but need a tummy tuck and breast lift after nine and a half stone loss. Do what children in the future though, do want children. Um, yes, uh, Rosalina. Yeah. Well, two options, Rosalina. You either go for it and have a breast lift now and say, look, I need it, I want it now. And, you know, I'm going to be, because, you know, but but you accept that if you do have children in the future, both your tummy and your breast can be stretched again. You know, it's not going to protect you. You, they, you might be fine. I'm not saying they will be a problem, but they might stretch again. Or you wait until you finish your family. But you might say it's going to be many years before I wait to finish my family. I want to have surgery now. Well, then have surgery now. You know, you, you can always something done again possibly if you needed it so it's about being aware and making a decision as to whether it's right to have surgery now or not but um but that's one caveat i would put there if you are wanting children in the future they can mess things up rosalina they can stretch your tummy they can stretch your breast and then the stretch goes and they give a hang and and if you spend a lot of money which it will be a lot of money having a breast lift and a tummy tuck it might be a bit annoying if the little Little darlings, stretch all your skin again. But as I say, they might not, so, you know. Tricky one, Rosalina, tricky one. No answers. Just getting information. That's what this is about. That's what we're doing this for. We, me, I. Giving you information so you can decide what's right for you. Yeah? Empowering the public. Empowering the people. That's it, people. The power's in your hands. You decide. We just tell you what can be done. Right. On that note, um, I'm going to have a lie down and I will see you 7 p.m. 
next Tuesday. So I'm going to check out the live by clicking the button. Oh, God, I've got to find the button on the live. I, I, the button's obvious on the Facebook, so I'm going to click that button there. Bye, Facebook. Thanks for watching. See you next week. Don't be a stranger. Feel free to post messages and stuff like that and questions. So Facebook. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.